You are listening to Shakespeare Virtual Theatre Company's Podcast Plays. On this week's episode, I Can Fly by Gary Saronin, performed by Rebecca Shore. Stay tuned after the play for an interview with the playwright Gary Saronin. And now, Shakespeare Virtual Theatre Company's Podcast Plays is proud to present I Can Fly. My name is Terry. I can fly. It isn't something I tell many people about. It's a secret. I don't remember when I first knew I could fly. I remember I could walk and run. Then one day I could jump. And then one day I jumped a little farther and a little farther, and then one day when I jumped, I just kept going. That first time I just kept going was pretty scary because I didn't know how to stop. I just gradually started slowing down and getting closer to the ground. I tripped when my foot hit the ground and I scraped my knee. Then I did it a few more times and got better landing. The first person I told was my mom, but not right away. Mom and dad used to get so upset because I would jump up into the tree in our backyard, but I was too afraid to jump back down. It just looked so far. So my dad would have to get a ladder and climb up and get me and make me stay in my room until I promised to never do it again. But I did do it again. They never saw how I got up there and they never asked. They just assumed I climbed up, I guess. Dad even cut off some lower branches, but I still got up there. One day, when I was in my sad place in my room, that was a corner I sat in when they were mad at me, Mom came in to talk with me. She acted kind of funny, like she didn't know what to say. She was quiet for a while before she started to talk. She asked me, Terry, do you climb up in that tree? Not, how do you get up in the tree? Or, why do you go up in that tree? She just said, do you climb? I didn't think about that until later. Anyway, I said, no. I was waiting for the next question, but there wasn't one. She just said, Don't go up in that tree again. It's dangerous. You could fall out and get seriously hurt or die. Do you understand? I said yes, and that was all. I didn't think much about it then because I just assumed everyone could do it. I had cousins who would come to visit, and we would race or chase each other around, and they never jumped and kept going, so I didn't either. I didn't think about why. It was like we never danced when we were running and we never jumped, so. Another day when I was in my sad spot for jumping, mom came into my room again and asked, how do you get up in that tree? I said, I just jump and keep going till I get to where I want. She didn't ask me what I meant. She never did. She just said, I don't want you jumping like that anymore. It isn't safe. 
Do you understand? I said, yes, mom. I didn't understand. (laughs) And I didn't stop. When I started school, us kids would play and run around in the schoolyard and nobody jumped like me. So I didn't either. But one day, my friend Johnny and I were playing with a Frisbee, and it got stuck in a tree branch above our heads where we couldn't reach. So I just jumped up and got it. No one else was around or looking, I guess, but Johnny's eyes got really big, and he said, how did you do that? I said, I just jumped. Another time, Johnny and I were playing on the swing set, just the two of us after school with no one else around. I got tired, so I got off my swing. Johnny kept swinging, and he was swinging real high, and suddenly flew right out of the swing. He was thrown straight out at first, but then he started falling. So I jumped up, and I put my arms around him, and then we came back down and landed on our feet. He he looked pretty scared. He tilted his head and looked at me and said, Terry, can you fly? I said, fly? Johnny said, yeah, you flew up and caught me and brought us both down safe. How did you do that? I said, I can't fly. I just jumped. Anybody can do that. And he said, no, nobody can do what you just did. You can fly. The next day, Johnny told a couple of other kids that I could fly. They just laughed and started teasing him. Then they came over to me and asked if I could fly. I didn't know what to say. I was confused because I never thought of it as flying. They were making fun of Johnny and I felt bad for him, but I didn't want them making fun of me. I thought everybody could jump like that, even though I never actually saw anyone do it. I just knew I didn't want them teasing me. So I said, no, I can't fly. And just to make sure they left me alone, I said, Johnny must be crazy. I didn't really mean it. I just wanted those kids to leave me alone. But they started calling him Crazy Johnny and teasing him all of the time. And I was too scared and ashamed to defend him. And Johnny got mad and said it was my fault. And then we weren't friends anymore. And I didn't jump anymore, at least not when anyone was looking. And I learned how to climb a tree and get back down like the other kids. Mom never asked me again about jumping, and so it just became something I kept to myself and did when I was sure no one else was around until I was in junior high. My cousin Elizabeth died. We were about the same age. She lived downtown in an apartment building. Lizzie and some friends were playing up on top of the apartment building one night, and Lizzie fell off down five stories and died. It was the first time someone I knew well, someone my age, had died. Everyone in our family was heartbroken. Her parents were in shock. 
I was just kind of numb. We went to the funeral and the kids who were up on the roof with her that night were there looking sad and sitting alone. Then we went to Lizzie's parents' house to eat and visit and comfort them. Everyone brought food. It was like a party, only sad. Lizzie's friends were there too, sitting off in a corner by themselves. Some of the adults would look over at them once in a while, then go back to talking softly with each other. I asked mom what was going on, why the kids were alone like that with the adults whispering. She said sometimes adults say mean things. Most of Lizzie's friends were older than her. The adults thought the kids were drinking or doing drugs that night. Mom said the kids denied that. They said that everyone was just playing around. And then Lizzie said she could fly. Nobody believed her. And they started teasing her and told her to prove it. They said Lizzie just said, okay. And then she ran and jumped off the edge of the building and fell straight down to the sidewalk. A couple of kids claimed that Lizzie did say okay, but then when she got over to the ledge, she stopped to look across and then down like she was trying to do calculations or something. And then some of them ran over to stop her and she accidentally got pushed and then she didn't fly. She just fell. I asked mom what she thought was the truth. She said, sometimes there's more than one truth because there are some things you just can't tell everyone. I said, do you mean secrets? She said, yes. And she told me that everyone has secrets. Some people live an entire lifetime with secrets. Some people eventually tell a few trusted friends because some secrets are too powerful to live with alone. And some people are so haunted by their secrets that it kills them. I asked mom if all secrets are bad. She said that most secrets seem bad to the one that holds them, and sometimes it's holding on to secrets that causes the most harm. She said that sometimes the best thing is to find someone you trust completely with your life and share that secret with them. If they love you, they will love you in spite of it or because of it. I asked her, what if it makes them afraid of you and they leave you because of the secret? She said, it's a chance you take and it means their friendship may not have been as strong as you thought it was. But no matter what happens, when you tell someone a secret, the secret loses some of its power over you. I've never forgotten that. Secrets are hard. I've shared my secret with a few people I trust the most. 
Some have not understood it or can't accept it, and they have left me. Some have not understood, but they have accepted it and loved me for sharing it. And some have shared a secret with me. But most of all, that secret is no longer a threat to me. It no longer has power over me. It's no longer something I must keep hidden at all costs, causing me to suffer in unimaginable ways. Flying is something I can live with now, something I can enjoy, something I can share with someone who knows me and understands me, someone who can appreciate it as a gift instead of something shameful. Sometimes it starts to get control over me again, but I know how to make it lose its power. And that's why I'm sharing my secret with you. You have just heard I Can Fly by Gary Saronin, performed by Rebecca Shore. Now, stay tuned for an interview with the playwright Gary Saronin on Shakespeare Virtual Theater Company's Podcast Plays. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You have just had the pleasure of uh, listening to our podcast play production of I Can Fly by Gary Saronin. And as is the case with these podcast plays, we now have with us in this podcast virtual studio, the playwright himself, Gary Saronin. And he's uh, gonna talk to us uh, for a few minutes about, about the show and his other experiences in theater and so on. So Gary, thank you for joining us. Sure, Jake, my pleasure. So uh, it's a really wonderful, uh, moving, um piece that you you wrote and that you are letting us so kindly letting us uh do for our series here and when um you submitted it to us um there was you know a a bit of the background of the play uh how it kind of came uh into being um but so since the the listeners can't really read that, I was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit about how I Can Fly came to fruition. Um, and I also see that uh, it's going to be performed in a few other places. So it's got a bit more of a, a future coming up too. So let's first start with how'd you get this idea and, and how did you go through the process of writing it? Well, it was a combination of ideas. I, um, I was looking at writing some some short plays, uh, and one of the things that uh, something that uh, occurs in my dreams every so often is um, flying. I just kind of, and so it, it kind of plays out that way in in the play. Just mm-hmm. uh, taking you know a walk or uh, a jog or strides that gradually get longer, and pretty soon the last stride just kind of like you lift off and you just keep going and don't come back down for a while. So I, you know, variations of that dream I've had probably since I was a kid. Um, so that was kind of a vehicle. And then uh, uh, my, uh, my son came out as transgender a few years ago and there was a, uh, you know, I, I 
was thinking about that experience and, and writing something along that line. And between that and the idea of flying, um, I thought about uh, just how do you explain secrets? And the, the play is how does this person explain the ability to fly to someone? Um, so it's kind of a metaphor for coming out. Sure. Uh, sure. One, yeah. one of the things that I, uh, I really appreciated about it was that, as you said, it, it does stand uh, as a symbolic representation or a metaphor, as you said, um, for coming out or transitioning. Um, but I, I really like that it's um, not just limited to that, meaning that depending upon, you know, each audience member's uh, perspective, uh, they could interpret this in, in many different ways. So it does have a very broad appeal. And as you said, I was I was nodding along while you were describing those dreams you've had of, of flying. I mean, I think everybody has uh, at some point had a dream like that or had that kind of that fantasy wondering what that would be like, too. So um, I thought it was quite accessible from from that front as well. How long did it take you to to write this? I'm sure that you had drafts, but um, from the point where you kind of sat down and started, you know, hammering out the details to when you can say, well, I think that's that's done or as done as it can be for now. What was that time period like? Well, uh, I, let, I played with it in my mind for a while and then started writing it out and I I, I guess the first draft maybe took a, not real long, a week or two. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I, I, every once in a while, I can come back to it, look, take another look at it. I did it um, as a part of a reading. I got together with a group of uh, other people, um, other, other playwrights. We were invited to read plays. And so this was the one, this was the one I read and that, uh, or that I had read by an actor. And it, um, I heard, you know, it gave me some ideas. I got some suggestions for uh, some changes. So, you know, it was a process, but uh, from the beginning to the way it is now, hard to tell, a few months maybe. Okay, okay. Do you Every once in a while, like tweaked it, you know, just. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, one, one more thing says, oh, that might be a nice touch. As yeah. a writer myself, I totally understand that. And that kind of is a nice uh, segue into uh, another question I wanted to ask you. So uh, after I checked out your, your website and your little bio in the, in, the, in the front of the script, you are like a jack of all trades. You are uh, a multi-talented man. So uh, if the listener doesn't know, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't, you'd not only write uh, for theater, you, you write music, you have taught, you have really done a whole lot of stuff. Um, t what is it like, I guess is a two part question. So my first part is, what is it like writing what I call a monodrama or a monologue like this versus writing uh, a more traditional play with with multiple characters? Because I see that you've done both. Did was one harder than the other? Um, not necessarily harder, but different. I mean, in a obviously in a play with with uh, two or more people, you've got the back and forth dialogue going on. Mm -hmm. So in a monologue, um, you if there if there is a dialogue going on, it's coming from a person explaining, you know, just repeating what the dialogue was. Mm. Uh, so that makes it a little bit cumbersome, but. Uh, 
so it's it's a combination of that. You have to figure out, well, how does action occur with one person? So yeah, a lot of it is describing a, a story or a background. Um, and it's, uh, and uh, maybe uh, showing showing somehow how how this, the person is going through various emotions, um, and then in in the end, kind of tying up and actually speaking to the audience. So yeah. there are there are various ways to carry you know carry a monologue. Ab absolutely, and uh, this play, uh, in according to the script. Um, can also be done live. Of course, this this production of it is uh, all through audio. Uh, so it is very, um, you know, you can it, it's great because it can be done either way. Now you also uh, write liturgical music and, and play liturgical music. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. How, how did you get into that? And are there any similarities between the two types of writing i mean i know one is music and one is a script and, and words but um are there any skills that apply to both um yeah well story is story and the bible is full of stories um uh, stories being told by the writers and then stories taking place within uh, what the writers are saying so there's uh and there's tons of stories and uh, Jesus was, he told parables, he told stories that, um, that were metaphors for, for other things in life. And so, you know, in that way, this isn't much different than that. Um, as far as writing music, I began, uh, I had been a musician since I was a kid. Um, and uh, I began writing, uh, my brothers and I had a band. Um, I began writing some music in a, in a contemporary vein this is going way back, but there was a there was a in California this uh, kind of movement called Jesus People, and they did rock and roll Christian okay. songs. So I tried to kind of take that idea and write contemporary music for our church to use in a, a very traditional setting. Uh, with you know, and so I I got uh, brought on board to do some things for some youth groups around town or within the state of Michigan. Mm -hmm. We did a national youth gathering one year. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, I, and I just kept doing that throughout my life. I taught for about 10 years or so, band and choir and directed, directed plays and musicals during, uh, during that period too. And then I became a, a music director at my church and uh, kind of my specialty was taking contemporary music that would fit within our liturgical tradition. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, so it's been an interesting journey. Very cool, sort of, uh, uh, sort of like a Stephen Schwartz, Godspell, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Jesus Christ Superstar kind of feel. Is that what I'm I'm sensing? Exactly. Exactly. I, I think yeah. In fact, you're that's you've kind of hit it on the head. Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar were two very uh, they were things that were very formative for me in terms of how can I make contemporary music not loud rock and roll it'll chase right. people older people out of the pews but how could i do it in a way that um you know that was a, a little more it was more relevant and, and musically to a pop culture so yeah those two musicals were eye-openers for me and that really inspired me to start doing that 
two of my favorites. I've I've been in both. I was Judas and Godspell once, and uh, you know, an Apostle and Jesus Christ Superstar. Classic shows. Um, I'm I'm curious. How has um, I Can Fly been received, uh, whether by members of your family, your community, or just the theater world in general? Um, hasn't been hasn't been seen uh, right here in Grand Rapids, but there's a uh, there's a theater uh, in Mid Michigan that um, included it in a program, an evening of uh, or a weekend of ten minute plays. Okay. Uh, so it's had it had uh, performances by a young person at that uh, at that theater. That's been the only live performance so far. Um, I've been submitting at other places lately. It's um, it's had a couple of uh, um, because of COVID, a couple of video performances. Yep. Um, it's also been uh, chosen by a publisher to be included in a book of uh, short plays, ten minute plays and monologues wow. that'll be published in the spring. So that's great. Um, I expect it to have some more life. I've had uh, absolutely other other places. I've sent it more recently that are in the process of weeding out through the hundreds of submissions they get. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I feel that pain. I I know exactly what that's like. Well, hey, Gary, this was a it was a great uh, speaking to you. I I know it was brief, and I I could probably talk to you about you know, uh, musicals and, and plays and, and all that for the rest of the day. But it seems like you're a very busy guy. So I want to let you get back to that. But thank you again for letting us do I Can Fly. It is our only, again, as I'm calling it, a monodrama or monologue play that, uh, of this series. And so uh, I, I was looking for just the right one. And this one really hit the nail on the head. So bravo on that. Thank you so much. And uh can't wait to see what uh, it, it turns into and uh, what comes next for your playwriting uh, future. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jake, and, and good luck on your ventures. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Shakespeare Virtual Theater Company's podcast plays with I Can Fly by Gary Saronin, performed by Rebecca Shore. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you're notified about the latest episodes when they become available. If you think that you have a script that would work as a podcast play, we'd love to read it. Visit www.jakespearvtc.com submit. We'll be back again next week for another Shakespeare Virtual Theatre Company podcast play. We'll see you then.